let's get into the details of lean mass hyper responders. Dave, you want to get started? First of all, thank you for having me on and sharing this journey. And it's fascinating because in a way, I feel like we're in the third act of, you know, what's been fairly a large drama. There's, as you know, a clinical trial that's going on now, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But let's kind of start with how we got here and what I think is going on. So this is kind of just the simple way of explaining it that really for the vast majority of people going on a low carb diet, they tend to come from a metabolically challenged state. They're obese or you know severely diabetic or an otherwise a metabolic challenged state. We find that for a portion of them, some will see a dramatic increase in their total and LDL cholesterol. And this term hyper responder actually predates me. It actually came up a long time ago as kind of a way of describing that for some people going on low carb, they would see this hyper response. And then there's this term, and you're right, I coined this in 2017, two years into my research, that some will see a specific pattern that includes the highest total in LDL cholesterol of all, really, really high levels of LDL. And I call these lean mass hyper responders. But as we'll get to in a moment, it doesn't just include high LDL, it also includes high HDL cholesterol and low triglycerides. But let me first get into what I think is going on. I usually talk through this a bit faster, but I want to kind of slow it down and make sure you and, and the audience understand this as best as we can. But basically, when somebody is healthy, and it's important to emphasize this context of healthy, particularly metabolically flexible, and going on a low-carb diet from a mixed or carb-centric diet, here's what I'm proposing is happening. We call this the lipid energy model. So you have your body fat over here, and it's got your triglycerides. That's the stored form of fat. And what's happening is now there's a continual release as these are broken apart into free fatty acids from your adipocytes, that's these fat cells. And that's good because there's tissues in need that'll take them up, particularly like skeletal muscle, cardiac, and so forth. But there's also a higher uptake of these free fatty acids by the liver. And that's good because you'll get a higher production from the liver of ketones, ketogenesis, hence the name of the diet typically being called keto when you're especially fat adapted. And this is what everyone talks about. All of this, as I like to say, is not controversial. This is pretty much the 101. Now, the next portion does get a little bit trickier. Before you move, let me interrupt and just let you know, we get a little bit geeky sometimes in terms of the biological side, the medical side. I noticed the image that you have for the triglycerides. I'll just interject real quick. The image is very good because a triglyceride, you break it down and it's a molecule made of three fatty acids. That's the little squiggly line that you have there. And they're all hooked together by a glycerol molecule or what we call moiety, a portion of a molecule. And that's how you get triglycerides. When you start getting into the tissues in need, the glycerol breaks off and then you start burning those fatty acids. As we get deeper into the biochemistry, I think that might help some of our geeks. Oh, for sure. And I'm glad you brought that up. Since we're here, it won't be in the slide. But of course, the liver takes up a lot of that glycerol backbone and uses it for gluconeogenesis. That's a very substantial portion, in fact, that is made use of for G&G. Good point. Glycerol has three carbons and the glucose has six. So the liver takes two of those three carbon molecules and makes the glucose out of it. So now to get to the bottom half, where it gets a bit trickier. So there's a higher re-esterification 
of triglycerides in the liver. This is part of the hypothesis that, again, I'm saying higher in regards to we're now in a context of fat adaptation. So because there's this higher uptake of free fatty acids, you just mentioned how these are broken apart. It's usually called deesterification. Esterification is where they're kind of bound to that glycerol backbone. Well, now we're reversing the process. We're re-esterifying them into these triglycerides and placing them into what's known as VLDL. These are lipoproteins that contain these triglycerides. And if it looks similar to body fat cells, the adipocytes, it's because it is. This is often called the stored form of fat for a good reason, because it can stay within membranes because it's big and it's bulky, right? We make these VLDLs in the liver, and then that's good because now there can be greater direct supply of VLDL to both adipose and non-adipose tissue. So now we have this other pathway where you can actually get quite a bit more fatty acids coming from these triglyceride in the payload of this. And then on top of that, there's more that actually goes back to body fat. Now, this might seem a little confusing at first. Like, why would you be intentionally putting back a lot of these triglycerides that just now came out of body fat? And that's because your body is in a constant state of repletion. Even though this is releasing out, it's releasing out. And then it's kind of like, I liken it to a buffet. Body's bloodstream is a buffet and it's your body's job to keep that buffet stocked. And so tissues that are in need get higher dips. They want to have plenty that's available. And so this is kind of continually restocking it. Triglycerides onboard VLDL are constantly restocking at a larger degree to body fat because subcutaneous body fat is all over the place. And that's good. It's like your local grocery store. If you, yep. you know the neighborhood were joining tissues. Now, here's the tricky part. You got to watch close. We posit that because of that, there is a higher turnover of VLDL in delivering these triglycerides to tissue. So this is coming off faster. That's why if you go on a low carb diet, it sounds unintuitive for me to say that there's more VLDL coming out and more triglycerides coming out because everyone assumes it's at a static rate and therefore there would just be higher and higher and higher triglycerides. But no, we're positing that actually there's a faster uptake alongside it. More of your body fat is taken up, but particularly more of your tissues are taking up more of these triglycerides. So your triglyceride levels in the blood are dropping. Mm. But here's the final step. What does that mean? That means more of these VLDLs dropping off these triglycerides are remodeling to their successor LDL. This is part of that lineage. So putting it all together, if you're going to be circulating more fat because you have to traffic it more, because you're powered more by it, then you need more of these carrier proteins, particularly these macro proteins like lipoproteins. And in a roundabout way, you could almost think the end result of LDL is just the succession of a faster turnover, secretion and turnover of triglyceride-rich lipoproteins so that you end up with triglyceride-poor LDL. But that does, of course, mean that there's going to be more cholesterol that's seen in a snapshot because that's part of the constituent components for being able to make these in the first place. Does that make sense so far? It does, but let me ask you a question and maybe help connect some dots in my brain. So one of the things that I do in a preventive practice with patients is we do work to decrease that triglyceride level. And usually, as you can guess, the biggest thing is lifestyle and it's diet and it's decreasing carbs. So one of the things that this slide begins to show me is, okay, let's say you're successful at decreasing those triglycerides. Your body still has to move energy. 
we've got equilibriums around here. We've got a bunch of different ways that we're moving energy. If we're not moving it through triglycerides, where are we going to move it? And it sounds like you're saying, yeah, what you're doing is switching from a triglyceride-driven energy transport to more of a VLDL energy transport. Is that what you're saying? Well, VLDL carry triglycerides. So it's really the combination of all of these at the same time. Taking it back to the beginning, you do have a higher continual release of free fatty acids from adipocytes. So think about it from this perspective. If you're powered by glucose, as many people right. are, we hear the term metabolism a lot, but let's like get to what the real basics of it are in the way we usually are thinking of it, which is it's the combination of anabolism balancing against catabolism. And where that especially is relevant is in fuel stores. So if I'm on a low fat, high carb diet, I'm building up my glycogen stores. And then between meals and while I sleep, I'm breaking down my glycogen stores and to some degree, some fat. But my primary fuel source is my glycogen and therefore glucose. Well, okay, now let's flip the script and say we're doing that with fat. Where are we storing fat? We're storing them predominantly in our adipocytes, our fat cells. Well, that means that they're literally, even if it's small levels, they're literally growing and contracting. They're growing as we're with the anabolism, we're storing the fat in adipocytes during storage state where I'm eating. And then they're actually just minutely growing, but they're across the board. They're all throughout my body through my subcutaneous fat. They're growing. And then between meals, catabolism, we're starting to release more of those free fatty acids. Well, in that span of time, we have all of that circulation, not just in the release of my subcutaneous fat to those free fatty acids that are made available, but it's a redistribution scheme. More of those free fatty acids that are left over, the liver's swooping up, repackaging, and then sending back out to adipocytes that would now take them back up again. So it's in a sense, you can kind of think of it as on the glucose side of the fence, you've got your muscle and your liver glycogen stores being built up and broken down, though mainly the liver. But in the context of being fat adapted, it's your adipocytes. And if that's the case, you have to traffic a lot more fat. You cannot traffic a lot more fat without carrier proteins because of course the blood is an aqueous environment and you need carrier proteins to move fatty acids around because they are hydrophobic. Good point. This is the lineage. In short, we've got we've got chylomicrons, which come from the small intestine. So if you've just eaten some food, I had some eggs this morning, right? These lightning bolt boxes on this ship, it's kind of a representation of a chylomicron. This is a lipoprotein bloated with triglycerides. And very rapidly, it delipidates. It gets rid of these, I shouldn't say gets rid of, but repletes all tissues that are going to make use of them. And then ultimately remodels the chylomicron remnants. I should say it repletes adipocytes and feeds tissues that are in need. And once it's gotten loose of all of this, it ultimately becomes chylomicron remnants, and then it's quickly absorbed by the liver. These are known as ApoB48 for the geeks out there. There's this other lineage, which is the liver, which is going to be the VLDLs we just mentioned. It's dropping off the triglycerides. It remodels the IDL. Some number of these, depending on context, will be taken up by the liver right away. But those that aren't will ultimately remodel to LDL. And then there's, of course, HDL, which we hear plenty about, but we won't cover here. But here's the key thing to notice. This whole side is the energy delivery side. This is actually delivering energy. And this literally happens within a matter of minutes to hours. This side, I would call the support side because both LDL and HDL are part of the immune response and are, in fact, ApoB containing lipoproteins are part of acute phase reactants. I'm, I'm not sure if you've gone over that with your audience, but that's a very interesting subject and in how much they participate in the immune response in that regard. But note that this is the only lineage from the liver, the VLDL to 
IDL to LDL, both a part of energy delivery and support. And therefore, it makes sense because these will remain in circulation. While this can take minutes to hours, LDL will remain in circulation from two to four days. So that brings us back around to lean mass hyperresponders. To get to my question a minute ago. So for someone who's glucose driven, why are we seeing high triglycerides? If you look at this slide, what's going on? A couple of things. I should emphasize, if they're metabolically healthy, we probably won't see high triglycerides. If they're less metabolically healthy, then we might see high triglycerides, in which case we've got to get to what the nature of the problem is and why I think it's so relevant. High triglycerides, to me, suggest in most cases, if it's metabolic related, suggest a parking problem, right? Yeah. So we have a problem with VLDL and chylomicrons finding tissues, the cargo that are taking up triglycerides. So if VLDL, you know, going back to the buffet example, real quick, you have a lot of food that's in the buffet line, but you have a lot of full customers. But what's happening? The kitchen yeah. is still running the buffet. They're still putting out food. It's eventually like spilling off the buffet line, right? But the customers are like, we're not full. We're not hungry. We're plenty full. We don't have anything more to eat. So what happens is in the human body, you're seeing this higher and higher development of triglyceride-rich lipoproteins. And what's soon to follow is the development of ectopic fat, mm. fat that's being stored in tissues not designed to take up fat. So adipocytes, they are pros at staging and pacing fat. It's their job. They're great at it. But what happens when they aren't taking up anymore fatty acids? What does that mean? Well, that means that you probably, there's really a lot of different illnesses, but the ones you're most going to see are ones that are associated with, with metabolism, that you're past your personal fat threshold, that you're hyperinsulinemic, that you, you have a serious problem and that there's not a capacity for storage in your adipocytes, the healthy places to store your fat, right? And so that you start seeing fatty liver, you start seeing you know deposits in your pancreas, and even your heart, there's all these different places where ectopic fat will build. Can we talk for a second about those analogies? You and I talked a couple of weeks ago about an analogy of the dock, the harbor. Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to use that one? I love that one, actually. Use that one. And then let's okay. go back and label what each of those things is. To help sure. So wrapping their head around what we're discussing here. Yeah. So here's the analogy. Let's say Ford and I are up on a mountain looking down at a harbor. And in the harbor, we see 100 ships. And I'm looking down there and go, whoa, they don't need 100 ships. Why are there 100 ships there? It's way too many. And Ford says, no, 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 no. Let's, let's just wait. Let's see what's happening. Because we're seeing them getting loaded up and we're seeing them going out or we're seeing them coming back empty. And I go, well, they could have probably done it with less ships. And you're like, no, no, Dave, I think actually it's, it's probably they're meeting the demand of what's actually out there. And then I go, ah, okay, well, then we come back a year later and now there's a thousand ships. I'm like, okay, well, that's definitely way too many ships. And you're like, oh, hold on, Dave, hold on. Let's just see. Let's see how many ships are coming out, how many are coming back. And sure, it's the same thing. There's 10 times as many ships that are now going out with cargo, but they're coming back empty. And you suggest, well, maybe there's just 10 times the demand that's being met, right? But now we flip the script and instead there's 50 ships. So much less. And I go, oh, good, good. There's only 50 ships. That's probably fine. And you say, well, Dave, they're all stuck in the harbor and they're full of cargo. <laughs> the cranes that are trying to drop more, they're not finding ships that have anything available. What does that say to us? Even if we don't see where the ships are going, we can have a fairly good sense that there's not the demand out there that's being met for whatever the cargo is. And that's why we have all these boats stuck in the harbor. Well, so yes, I'm arguing it's a bit 
simplistic, but it kind of gets to the gist of it. I'm arguing that looking at triglycerides is like looking at the cargo on these boats. It's more meaningful to me than it is the boats because the cargo's successful delivery is indicated in part by what we're seeing. And sure enough, that's exactly what we see as the association over and over again. That's why triglycerides are such a hugely powerful. I mean, even for as basic of a marker it is, it's very suggestive how effectively and successful that your delivery is into your tissues and how much it's turning them over. So you wanted me to... That triglycerides are boats in the harbor that are full, sitting there, not being used. Triglycerides are the cargo of the boats. The cargo, the triglycerides are the cargo in those ships and the ships are full of triglycerides, but they're not able to drop them off anywhere. In other words, somebody's got way too many energy stores and now you're using boats in the harbor as an energy store. Correct. And this is where it gets really important because you don't have to be metabolically obese to have this problem. Different people have different thresholds for which they start running into this. But I, for one, I think that if you see triglycerides that are high, it's worth paying attention to. And I say that while likewise acknowledging it is a noisy marker. It's kind of like glucose. And so if you do get your triglycerides, try to, I'm sure a lot of people who follow you are on a low carb diet. Please also be aware that you want to be sure that you're also fully fasted. One of the changes that I strongly disagree with that they've made is that they now allow for people to get blood tests or even ask them to get blood tests while at the doctor's office when they're not fasted. If you're on a low carb, high fat diet, well then don't be surprised if you have high triglycerides, especially if you literally just had a meal not too long ago that had a lot of fat, because guess what? You literally installed them in your chylomicrons, right? So we don't care so much about whether the area under the curve of triglycerides are higher. We care about whether or not they're successful in turning around through your tissues. And that's why it can be crucial to watch that, to be able to confirm that it's coming in and out just fine. In your low carb diet or the, let me see if I can get this analogy correct. It's sort of like if you get that blood drawn after a meal, then you're going to see a lot of boats with a lot of cargo in them. You definitely will. But if you just wait until they've fasted, all those boats will be empty at that point. Whereas someone who's metabolically unhealthy, they've got too many fats and they're trying to store them in blood particles. Even when they're fasted, you're going to take that picture and you're going to see those particles full of cargo, full of triglyceride. Correct. Well, the ultimate key to look for is going to be insulin. I think you're already a big fan of this yourself, but boy, I wish fasting insulin were a part of every single test. Fasting insulin and C-reactive protein, but I'll set that aside for a moment. Fasting insulin, there's, I have yet to have anybody make a case to me as to why after full fasting, after 12 hours of fasting, that the anabolic hormone of insulin should be high. It should not be high. It should be, it should be low. And pardon me for getting involved there. I just have to make one case and I'll give it back to you. I'm so glad you brought that point up because as you heard in my intro, one of the key things that I do in my, in this channel is redirect people back from, okay, yes, your doctor's telling you LDL, your doctor's telling you fats, but really what we're looking at on the cholesterol panel and the fractionation is driven much more by what you're doing in terms of your glucose metabolism, including what you do with insulin. I'll drop that and let you go back to your point. But you know, some people are, would say, well, Ford, yeah, you talk about 
prediabetes and, and insulin all the time. This thing with Dave is a very interesting thing, but it's not really related to prediabetes and insulin. And I think the point that you just made is, oh, no, it's very related. It absolutely so is, right. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, no, there's a profile called atherogenic dyslipidemia. So atherogenic mean, you know, plaque in your arteries causing dyslipidemia, meaning a profile for which lipids are, you know, unbalanced. And that profile is typically low HDL cholesterol right. and high triglycerides, which right. tends to go alongside having a higher preponderance of small dense LDL particles. Now, what do I think is going on? Do I think it's that profile and the small LDL particles are then predominantly causal towards atherosclerosis? I want to put something else on the table. I want to say, what if the profile itself is a reflection of the disease state rather than the driver of the disease state? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at prevmedhealth.com. To learn more, watch our videos on YouTube at Ford Brewer MD MPH. Thank you very much for your interest.